scripture in the Bible. And um, verse 18 and, uh, well, verse 19 and 20. And I want you to notice every word. Years ago, I preached uh, seven nights in a row at a missions conference on each word and phrase in these two verses. And so if you'll notice in verse number 19, the very first word, this is the imperative of missions, go. And then notice the instrument of missions, he says, ye. And if you'll study, you'll discover that's not just individuals alone, but it's the church. He's addressing that first church that he started here upon this earth. He set some first apostles in the church, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And so this is what we have, that meeting with them. So this is the instrument of missions. Then he says, therefore, that's the importance of missions. Then we see the instruction. He tells us to go into what? Teach, baptizing, and teaching. Then notice the inclusiveness of missions. He says, all nations. Thank God nobody's left out. Notice the intent. To observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And here's the inspiration of missions. He says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Boy, if that doesn't inspire someone, they got to be might near dead, that he will be with us. Now keep in mind, he has given this mission to what some might call a ragtag bunch of guys without any education, without any nobility in their family, just some average Joes, just average run-of-the-mill people. And he gives them a commission like this. He starts his first church with men like this. He didn't look for the influential. He didn't look for the powerful. He didn't look for the rich. He said, just give me the common man. And he picked those common men and then gave them a mission like this. How in the world do they have a chance of ever completing a mission like this? Well, the answer is, he said, I'm with you always. And if God calls you to it, he'll see you through it. And this morning, I want to, you to just focus on that one word, go. And just to relieve the tension, no, I'm not going to be preaching the next seven weeks on the rest of it. Just notice the word go. That first little word, but it's an imperative it's not a request that the Lord is making. It's not just an observation. He is saying here, I want you to go. And uh, that reveals what's up most on his heart. You know, whenever someone knows that they're about to depart, as Jesus would soon do. And in fact, he had told them about that, that he's going to the Father now, you're going to be hated, you're going to be persecuted, and you're going to have a very difficult job, but I'm leaving. 
you've you got to know that must frighten them because their faith certainly wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But in John chapter 16, he assured them it's going to be all right because I want to send the Spirit. Amen. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit's not some second-class helper. The Spirit came to enable them to do what the Son of God has commanded them to do. So this is their mission, and it being at this time, if his earthly ministry, this is revealing what was utmost in his heart. You know, he could have taken a few hours and said, Look, fellas, I know you've been following me around, and you've got a lot of questions. I've spoken about prophetic things, and you've wondered about that. A lot of things that you're confused about. And before I leave, I'm just I'm going to take the time to explain all of those things to you. But he didn't do that, did he? He just simply said, look, this is what's important. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go. This is the, the marching orders for the church. And it still is. There are some that have suggested that what this word go means is as you are going or when you have gone. I've heard preachers get up and harp on that and go back to the Greek and try to explain it away. And they say this is just our Lord's assumption that they're going to be going. And while they're going, this is what I want you to do. The only problem with that theory is that this is a command because we see here that word therefore. Notice that word therefore. Go ye therefore. That looks back to what Jesus said in verse number 18 about his authority. In verse 18 he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore because of that. This is a command. It's our commission. He's speaking with authority and he says go. So let's think about that command to go. First of all, it describes the nature of Christian service. The Christian life is to be active, not passive. You know, we live in a day and a time whenever entertainment seems to be in vogue. That seems to be what everybody wants, just entertain us. We don't want to do anything. We just want to, we just want to attend. We want to be entertained. We expect, you know, a good song service. We expect uh, some skilled orator to get up and to preach. And we want to be entertained. We want you to deal with our needs and so forth and so on. And yet, and yet at the same time, they never actually do anything. This is the nature of Christian service that we go. We talk about, you know, being soldiers in the army of the Lord. Well, soldiers go into battle. What, what good's a bunch of soldiers if all they're going to do is sit around and, and sing a few songs? Listen to lectures. Soldiers to go into battle. The Bible likes us unto labors in the harvest. I don't know about you, but I've bucked a few bales of hay and it's not fun. That's hard work when you're out there in the harvest and that's exactly what he tells us, that we are laborers in the field. Paul likens us unto runners in a race. The Bible speaks about us being stewards entrusted with God's property. We are ambassadors called on a mission. Second Corinthians chapter number 5, he speaks about the fact that God has given to us 
the ministry of reconciliation. Think about that. You and I as Christians are to be ambassadors. We are to be sent to those who do not know the Lord with the message that thank God although sin has separated you, sin has condemned you, although you're destined for a devil's hell, I've got good news and that is you can be reconciled to God. Boy, we ought to be anxious to share news like that. We're pilgrims on a journey. We're just traveling through. Every time I think about that, I think about my mama and we, we, we didn't read the Bible. We didn't go to church. We had nothing religious about us. But I picture mama out there hanging up clothes, out there in the clothesline. And every time she'd be saying, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Look, folks, this world is not our home. We are here on a mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sons in the family of God, and we need to be concerned about the Father's business. And yet today there are so many spectators and not enough participators, not enough folks that are really actively involved. There's a lot of viewers, but not many doers nowadays. It's real easy to get caught up in the bigness of what, what is known as the mega churches. I'm all for a church growing as big as it possibly can. I'm all for that. Every number represents a soul for which Jesus died. But I'm afraid a lot of folks are just using that as a, an excuse and an escape to get away from their God-given responsibility. Oh, they want to... They want to be a member of the first church because, you know, all of the big shots in town, there they're all members down to the first church or whatever church it might be, you know, the popular church. They don't have to do anything. Go in there and give their money and sit down and shut up. How many of you know Jesse Patton? Jesse was raised in our church, and Jesse's pretty excitable. That's good, by the way. In case you're wondering, somebody might think, well, I, I don't know if I like that or not. Well, you might not enjoy heaven then because there's going to be a lot of excitement there. Amen. I'll never forget Jesse after, after leaving our church and God had called him to preach and he was going out and there, he made a stop at a certain church. And they literally called him aside and told him, we don't do that around here. All he was doing was shouting, Amen, hallelujah, lift his hands once in a while. We don't do that around here. Isn't it amazing that there are so many people that are just so lifeless, so uninterested. All they want to do is just sit down, be entertained, and don't let anybody disturb them. I wonder what the Lord thinks about that. Viewers instead of doers. You see, we've developed that, and I know you've heard me say this a hundred times, churches have developed a come and get it attitude. You know, we build a building, we put up a sign out there, we might even do a little bit of advertising and so forth, invite everybody to come. Well, you know, that's well and good, but there's nowhere in the Bible it ever commands for the unsaved person to come and attend church. It tells the church that we are to go to those that are unsaved. That's the command, that we're to go to them. 
And we're, we either evangelize or we're going to fossilize one of the two. It's just a matter of time. If we don't reach people for Christ, it's just a matter of time, maybe a, one generation or less than that even, and the church becomes cold, hard, dead, and indifferent. The nature of Christian service is to go, but not only that, this word declares the authority for our mission. You know, a lot of times we've been uh, criticized, uh, even persecuted for trying to win people to Christ. They tell us, mind your own business. Again and again, you read in the paper or on the news, uh, I, even this week I read a couple of examples, especially up in Canada, they're really having it out up there. The word Christ and Christianity. One of the high schools, they had a, they had a Christian club. They had a hundred hundred and some Christian young people and you know they would meet and have their time together and the next thing you know there's a protest and all of a sudden you can't have a Christian club here you can have every other kind of a club but you can't have a Christian club it's so amazing they tell us to mind our own business and the fact of the matter is this is our business as the Lord said in Acts 1 8 you shall be witnesses unto me, witnesses unto me, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. That's our responsibility. And the authority is given in God's word. You don't, listen, you don't have to ask permission from someone to talk to somebody about Jesus. Amen. Oh, you might get expelled from the school or you might be rebuked at work and even lose your job. But the fact of the matter is you're actually doing your job whenever you're witnessing for Jesus. Amen. We need to go even whenever our enemies oppose us and our friends forsake us, when the laws are enacted against us, when persecution awaits us, we're to go. We're to go even when we don't feel like it. We're to go even whenever our efforts seem in vain. Because believe me, somewhere along the line, as you're trying to serve the Lord and you're trying to win others, the old devil's going to whisper in your ear, you're just wasting your time. They're not going to listen to you. We have a responsibility to go whether they listen or not. We have a responsibility to share with them the gospel of Christ, whether they accept it or not. Go. That describes the nature of our work. It declares the authority for our mission but it also disrupts our plans. You know, I think it's true of everybody here from childhood. You know, we all think about what we would like to do when we grow up. I wanted to be Stan the Man Musial, the great first baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, I thought, yeah, that, that's what I want. I want to be a major league baseball player. Thought later on, you know, that didn't work out so good. Did play semi-pro baseball. Played on the fast-pitch softball team. Finished second in the world. But whenever the Lord called me to preach, I began to realize, and Daddy would say, Son, don't you, don't you like to hunt and fish anymore? And I said, Daddy... I love it as much as I ever did, but I found something I love more, and that's the Lord. And 
I can't miss church. I finally, I finally got one of the things I wanted more than anything. Being from the Ozarks, boy, we had a lot of quail hunters there. It was my favorite sport, quail hunting. I finally, I finally got a really good quail dog. God called me to preach, and I realized that I had to devote my life to that. And those are things that I had to leave. I had to go to the, go to the coach on the softball team, tell him I'm not going to be playing next year. This is my last year. Sold my bird dog. You see, God has a way of disrupting all of our plans in order for his plan to be carried out. And that, that's not a bad thing, by the way. It's a good thing. Amen. The fact of the matter is, we don't have the right to make any plans without consulting him. We've been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to God. He purchased us. We're his property. And if we're going to serve God, then a lot of times we've got to, we've got to change our plans and we've got to leave things that otherwise that we would love to do. You say, well, preacher, I don't think everybody has that attitude. I know it, they, but they should. The attitude that whatever the cost is willing, I'm willing to pay because that's what God demands. And the problem is we get so preoccupied with the things of this world, it's like we put God over there in the back seat or in a corner or somewhere rather than giving God the, the preeminence in all things. You know, it might be pleasure. Some folks just live for pleasure. That's all they care about. They don't care about anything except pleasure. Other people don't care that much about pleasure. It's all about possessions, or maybe it's all about power. Prestige. We've got a lot of politicians that fall in, into that category. They don't care about anything else. They just want control. They want power. They want to be a somebody. And a lot of those things that we get distracted by are things that are not sinful in and of themselves. But they become sinful whenever we allow them to, to distract us from what the Lord tells us to do. Over and over and over again, the Lord speaks about the demands of discipleship. In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, he talks about the fact to be his disciple, we have to be willing to forsake everything. Now think about that. To forsake everything. Remember Peter says here in Mark chapter number 10. Peter said we have left all and have followed thee. Oh they left those boats behind. I mean there, there went the business. They, they were through with the fishing business. They're done with that because now they found something more important than that, more important than anything else. Think about the famous missionary C.T. Studd. And uh, whenever God called him to preach and called him to be a missionary, he had an inheritance of a half a million dollars, which no telling what that would amount to today. He gave it all away in one day. Just gave it away. So it would not in any way be a hindrance to him doing God's work. 
David Brainerd, the famous missionary to the Indians here in America. How many of you ever read the diary of David Brainerd? Anybody? My, my. What, what a blessing that is to, to read how God can use a plain, ordinary, average person to do such great things. And he died, I think, before he was 30 years old. But he said, I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I endured so that I could but gain souls for Christ. We wonder why God used people like David Brainerd and William Carey and all of these famous missionaries. And we wonder why the answer is obvious because they were people that held back nothing from God but the best they could gave God everything they had. They invested their life in the service of the Lord and God blessed them. And it do us all, I think, good to ask ourselves, what, what have I ever given up for God? Now please understand that I'm not telling you that God's going to have you to deplete your bank account and give it all away. I'm not telling you that God's going to call you to some mission field on the other side of the globe. But I tell you, all of us, every Christian ought to be willing to do that if God so leads us in doing that. And we might kid others and fool ourselves, but we can't fool God whenever we say, Lord, I surrender all. I wonder how many times that, that God has been repulsed by hearing us sing, even at an invitation, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I don't know about you, but it's scary to sing that, knowing in your heart that you really haven't surrendered all to the Lord. going to be his disciple he said you got to forsake all and follow me several years ago I'd written down the little poem in my old bible I think I mentioned this the one who got destroyed in the flood said could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die could a fisherman sit idle let men a fireman sit idle and let men burn and give no hand. Can you sit at ease in Zion with the world around you, damn? These guys sang the other day, My house is full, but my fields are empty. Boy, that's the way it is. There are so many that just refuse to get involved in what is actually most important. When do you ever meet someone like George Whitfield who said, If God did not give me souls, I believe I would die. John Knox said, Give me Scotland or I die. Adoram Judson said, I will not leave Burma until the cross is planted there forever. Now listen, 30 years after his death, the result of his ministry there, there were 63 churches, 163 missionaries, and over 7,000 that had been baptized. How could anybody accomplish something like that? That shows you what God can do when one man is willing to surrender everything he has to the Lord. Go. 
The word go implies here that it's a demonstration of God's love. When God calls you to leave your place of pleasure, make some sacrifice, forsake your plan, suffer hardship, serve Him, understand that He's not just trying to make life difficult for you. That's not the point. He does that out of what? Out of love. Loving concern for those that are lost. You say, yeah, but preacher, the cost is so great that I've got to give up all of these dreams and plans that I've had and maybe go to some other part of the world and serve Him. The cost is so great. How about Calvary and the cost there? Think about the price that He paid. You see, God's not asking you or commanding you to do anything He wasn't willing to do. He gave heaven's best for each and every one of us, and He expects us to give Him our best. That we can be a light for those that are in spiritual darkness, that we can be a, a channel of living water to bring Christ to those that are, are, are dying of thirst. He calls us to be watchmen on the wall, warning of the judgment to come, ambassadors with a message of reconciliation, a herald that is heralding out the good news, sounding out the good news. God forbid that we fail to, to go and to carry out those plans. He tells us to go into the highways and the hedges and the byways, jails, prisons, hospitals, nursing homes, wherever. Go to your own family and your friends. That's a, the starting place right there. Some, some folks, you know, say, well, boy, I'll tell you what, if God ever called me to preach, if God ever sent me as a missionary somewhere, boy, I'd be right on that. Yeah, and you hadn't talked to some of your relatives ever about Jesus. And you think you'd travel around the world and suffer all kinds of hardships to tell folks about Christ? I love what Andrew Murray said, even though it's a, a bit blunt. Some would say crude. He said there's only two classes of Christian. There are soul winners and backsliders. I, I know what's quiet. Only soul winners and backsliders. That we're either trying to win souls to Christ or we are backslidden. Now, I'm not just preaching at you. I'm talking about us. All week long, I've thought about the beginning of my Christian life. Two months later, God calls me to preach. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. It's only by the grace of God that it's lasted going on 56 years now. I wonder why God didn't choose someone else. Well, I know because he wanted somebody that was foolish and on and on and on, like Paul said, and he found that in me. I was dumb as a rock. And I didn't know whether Job was Job and Psalms was Palms. I, I didn't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. I'm serious. I, I didn't know whether Moses would live during the time of Christ or I had no idea. I'd never been in church, never read the Bible, except for those two or three weeks just before I trusted Christ as my Savior when I heard the gospel over and over and over again. Thank God somebody cared enough 
to just hammer away with the Word of God and keep emphasizing to me that He loved us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I, I couldn't get over the fact how anybody could love me because if you'd have met me before, before I was saved, you wouldn't have liked me. I didn't like me. There wasn't any reason for anybody to like me. And then I heard that God loved me. Are you kidding me? Oh, I could understand if the preacher had said, you know, you've got to swim the widest ocean. You've got to climb the highest mountain. You've got to give a certain sum of money. You've got to work your fingers to the bone. And then God will love you and God will save you. But he didn't say any of that. All he said is that the grace of God is extended to you. Jesus died for you and all you have to do is to believe. Just trust him. Go. It demonstrates God's love, but it depends on our concern. And listen carefully. What I've said so far are all facts. I'm convinced. I mean, if I told you the truth, is that what the Bible teaches? Are those facts? And facts are important. But it's how we feel about those facts that really makes the difference. You know, I doubt if anybody disagree with anything that I've said here, but what difference does that make if we don't do anything about it? It makes no difference at all. Even though it's factual, even though it's scriptural, it makes no difference if we don't witness to other people. God's willing, God's able, but it gets down to it that it depends on us and our willingness to be used of the Lord. And most people are not willing. You know that's the truth. And you have to ask yourself, how can we know so much and care so little? So many times the Holy Spirit will deal with me, and it just makes me ashamed of myself to think that I that I care so little. Oh, I know that, that I should. But there are times it's like, Lord, what's wrong with me? My, my heart just seems to be so hard and so indifferent. God said go. He didn't say go if you feel like it. Go if you have a tear in your eye. Go if you have assurance that somebody will respond. He just said go. That's the command. And when we refuse to go, we're not only sinning against God, but we're disrespecting the love of God. But listen, it indicates something else. It indicates a lack of, of fear of God. My Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And let me tell you, that's not to be taken lightly when we think of ourselves as Christians out of the will of God and we think some way or another that we're going to get by with it. We're just kidding ourselves. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and he scourgeth every son he received. Your, your unsaved neighbor might get by with something for the time being. Their payday someday. But if you're a child of God out of the will of God, not only are you going to be miserable, you're going to get a spanking, as it were. You're going to be chastised by the Lord. No child of God can sin successfully. It'll catch up with you. 
And anytime we ignore the command, go, we're sinning against God. Are we really serious about sin? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you bet I am. I saw a church member last week come staggering out of a bar. I've been wanting to tell you about that preacher. I saw one, I saw one down behind a station the other day. Shocked me. Smoking a joint, Pastor. I want to tell you about that. Now, I know about this other couple. They've been shacking up. Now, I wondered if I ought to tell you about that. It's real easy to see the disobedience in other people and then turn around and dismiss our own. Just ask yourself, am I making any effort whatsoever to bring others to a saving knowledge of Christ? Look, folks, we shouldn't even have to be told to go. I mean, would you need a court order before you rendered aid to an accident victim? On your way home, you see there's been an accident, and here's some some poor guy laying out there. He's bleeding all over. It's obvious he's just about to die. And you look at him and say, man, buddy, I'm so sorry. That was a horrible wreck. I'm so sorry you're hurt. I hope you make it. We've called an ambulance, but I can't render any aid unless I, unless I get a court order or get some permission from the state. Would you just let him lay there and die? What more do we need for us to respond to the needs of those around us that do not know Christ as their Savior? Man's need ought to be enough to compel us to go. But we've got something a whole lot stronger than that, and that's when Jesus said go. Now, let me give you something to think about. There's a sense in which you can go without traveling even a mile. Usually when we think about going, we're thinking about, well, I'm, God called me, I'm going into the ministry, I'm, I'm going to go off to seminary or Bible college, or, uh, and, and then I'm going to go to the mission field or whatever it is. We always think about we've got to go somewhere, change our geographical location, but the fact of the matter is you can go and do as the Lord commanded without moving an inch, as it were, because there's things you can do said the other day, and behind all of this, 17 weeks ago, whenever, 18 I guess now, whenever I got out of the hospital or as soon as I was able to get back and started preaching, I had been headed in one direction, and that is that, that God will help us to be the kind of church that would please Him, and we can't do that unless we're doing our best to win others to Christ. And and it's easy to make up a long list of ministries that we could do. The most obvious is just personally witnessing to others. Hand out tracts. We'll buy all of the tracts you can hand out if you'll hand them out. I'm so encouraged that lately I've heard and talked to different members of the church say, Preacher, I've been handing out tracts. Some of them have been making inroads with people that they work with. And all of a sudden, these people are starting to open up and to speak with them, whereas before, they just considered them a nutcase. 
It can be an outreach ministry of some kind. Whether it's walking up and down the street just like some of our folks here do every once in a while. They'll go out and go up and down the streets and knock on doors. You say, well, I don't think that works anymore. Well, what are you doing that works? Let us in on your secret and we'll start doing that. I like what they're doing a whole lot better than what you're doing if you're not doing anything. Just knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus. By the way, it does work. This doesn't work as fast and as much as we want it to. We, we got folks here that's been added to the church just recently as a result of that very thing. Here's something else you can do. You, you can contact our guests. This last week in the, when I made the remarks at the beginning, every week I'd leave here and it had eaten me up and I kept thinking I, I dare not go in there and not have my mask on and get in at the last minute, get out at the last minute, get home, you know, quick as good. I wasn't in a hurry. Listen, that was tearing me apart to think about that I was walking out and we still had guests in here that I'd never spoken to. It wasn't because I didn't want to. I have a wife that spent two years not able now to get up and to walk in misery every single day. And I've tried to do my best to protect her from anything that would complicate matters any more than what it is. She and I talked about this very thing. She brought it up, in fact, said, you, you need to be spending more time there talking to people. I said, baby doll, if I do that, I'm afraid I'll catch something and you'll get it. And she encouraged me that you need to do that anyway. Thank God for a preacher's wife that will put aside her own feelings, her own safety and what have you, and say, you, you do it. And that's exactly what I plan on doing. Just interacting with others. Whenever I saved at the Community Baptist Church there in Willard, Missouri, you couldn't have backslid if you wanted to. We had a young, he was about my age, Red-headed deacon Paul Davis later became a cop. And Paul, he bugged me to death. I, if he even thought I was thinking about going quail hunting or something, going to miss church, man, he's on my doorstep. I didn't dare miss because he's going to be over there. Read me the right act. But, but we, we had folks in the church. You, those of you that are my age, you know what I'm talking about. Back then, after church, we didn't go to any restaurant. Good night. We couldn't afford to eat out. Only time we took our kids was out was on Tuesday night. And we took them to uh, uh, the root beer place. Uh, yeah, there you go. A&W Tuesday, 10-cent hot dogs. And the kids knew, boy, we get to eat out on Tuesday. And off we'd go. But I'll tell you what, every Sunday We'd either have somebody over or somebody will have us over. There was that interaction. Roger, one of our new, I guess he'd been here, what, a year now? Where did he go? Oh, there he is right there. Some of the things that he has said and done in regards to hospitality just makes me light up with joy to think about some folks are interacting with people like that.
Thank God for it. Here's something else you could do. You could contact the dropouts. Oh, by the way, God's already sent somebody to do that. And I love what Melvin said. He asked to do it. He wants those visitor cards because he, he's going to contact them every week. And he made this statement. He said, and I'm all in. Isn't that what he said? I'm all in. Thank God that I don't want somebody halfway in. Somebody's going to do it for two or three weeks and quit. Thank God for that. It's so very important. And then there are those that drop out. Had been here in months and months and months. And after a while, you know, where's so-and-so? Well, I don't know. I heard they were sick. Well, that's last year. And so many times we just let people fall through the, the cracks because we don't contact them. How about helping the widows? What a ministry that is. I, I can go on and on and on. You can maintain contact with the missionaries. That'd be a big help with them. Just send them a card. Recognize their birthday and anniversary and things. What about the nursing homes? Some of the most wonderful, precious memories that Bev and I have has been ministering in nursing homes. <coughs> it is amazing how close you can get to those people. Some time ago, whenever, before all of the sickness and things, and Kep was singing, and Eric and, uh, and Lisa and Bev would go to these nursing homes and sing. It, it was, that was the ministry they wanted to have. That was the crux of it, to go there and minister to them. Thank God we've got the villas over there. That, that, you know, those folks are still able to get up and around, but when you go to the nursing home, there's some poor folks there been laying in bed for months and nobody ever comes to see them. You know, one of the most encouraging things you can do is take some kid in there, some little six, seven-year-old kid. Oh, I know COVID changed a lot of things. I understand that. But there's still always something that we can do that'll help us to reach others for Christ. Every ministry, every ministry needs a leader. You, you, you don't start a ministry unless you've got a leader, and there has to be somebody that's fully invested in getting the job done. And sometimes to get just the right person might take years. Brother Kenneth and I were talking this week about a Spanish ministry. We had one. He was working great, good preacher. Some other church uh, up in Colorado found out about him, and they hired him away or got him away somehow. We were talking about that, and, and I, I said, Brother Kenneth, I said, it's all about the right man. I don't, I don't know who that might be, but we're not going to just start a Spanish-speaking ministry not knowing that God sent the right man here to do the job. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a Spanish-speaking ministry and where maybe hundreds of people could hear the gospel that otherwise might not ever hear the gospel? There's an unlimited number of things that we can do, but we won't do any of them unless what? Unless we go. I'm glad Jesus came. Aren't you? He looked down from the portals of glory and looked down upon the sinfulness of man and 
He could have folded his arms, I guess, and had pity on our plight. The Bible says over in the Psalms that he looked down, but then it goes on and tells us he didn't just look down, he came down. He came down among us. He became one of us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. God became a man, allowed himself to be hated and despised and nailed to a cross for our sins. And how can anyone receive such a great salvation and then by their actions say, but I'm not going to tell anybody else. Go. Because if we're not willing to go, it makes no difference how many programs that we start up. None of it will work without us going. I'm glad that many years ago now, a young man by the name of Gene Hankins lived in Paducah, Kentucky. God called him, God saved him, God called him to preach. He went off to Baptist Bible College. His job during college was he was a delivered coke. He had to round of the stores right in my neighborhood even. I had no idea when I was a kid and this, uh, younger anyway, the guy delivering cokes down there was going to someday be my pastor. Finally somebody convinced me that as messed up as I was, I needed to go to church and I did. And there he was. He'd become the pastor of that church and he was preaching the gospel week after week after. I'm so glad he came. Aren't you glad that God put somebody in your life that was willing to go, whether they knocked on your door, whether they sat down with you in a coffee shop, they were willing to go, they were willing to come to you and bring you the good news. And now, folks, we owe that to others. God forbid that we just sit back. Let me ask you a question. Is heaven real? Oh, I know it's so wonderful. It doesn't seem like it could be, but we all know it is. Is hell real? Is, is that a real place? Oh, some of these liberal preachers would tell you, no, it's not a literal place. My Bible tells me it's a literal place. Jesus said it was. Heaven is real. Hell is real. That being the case, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing about it then? You know, I don't think you could blame a lot of folks if they said, in fact, this has happened. Where folks said, I don't believe anything you Christians say. If you really, if you really believe there was a place like hell, you'd crawl around the world on your hands and knees to tell everybody you could so they could be saved. God help us to go when we leave here today to go. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, please don't just walk out of here and you said, but preacher, all this is new to me. I, I, I don't know what to think. I have so many questions. That's a good thing. Amen. It's when you, when you don't care enough to even ask about your questions that you're really messed up. But if you're willing to listen, I have 
I have in my hand the book that has the answer to all of your questions. And I have a God who has the power to meet every need in your life. And it starts with receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you trust him this morning? We're going to extend an invitation here in just a minute and we invite you to come. Whatever God's speaking to you about, it might be you just want to come and get on your knees and say, Lord, I've been saved a long time, but Lord, I've never led anybody to the Lord. God, help me, help me to lead somebody to Christ. I remember begging God to help me lead someone to Christ. I'd been preaching down at that old rescue mission on Main Street week after week after week and nobody was getting saved. Finally, I said, as it were to the Lord, you know, God, what am I doing? No, nothing's happening. Am I doing something wrong? I just kept preaching finally. I gave the invitation after bringing a message. It was probably all messed up in any way. I didn't know how to preach. But I was telling them about Jesus. This big old black guy, muscular dude, he come running down toward me. And look, we're talking about a lot of, these people are alcoholics. I didn't know what had set him off. And I thought, man, the fight's going to be on. I'm going to lose. <laughs> this guy looked true. His name was Bobby Lewis, and he looked like Joe Lewis. And here he come. Man, he grabbed me around the neck, and he was snotting and bawling all over me. Preacher, I want to be saved. And he got saved. He got saved. Thank God for that. Maybe that's what you want to do. Maybe you work with people and you know they're lost. And it might be that you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and hadn't got anywhere. Won't you just come this morning and get on your knees and say, Dear Lord, help me not to give up. Help me to keep praying and keep witnessing. May the Holy Spirit work in their heart and they come to a knowledge of Christ. While we all stand together, as we extend this verse of invitation to you, and maybe you're here today and you've been saved, and I don't know, maybe you've been looking for a church and, and the Spirit has just directed you our direction because we wouldn't want you to come if the Spirit of God doesn't lead you. But you want to come today and say, Preacher, uh, I believe this is going to be my church home. Whatever it is, Father, speak to our hearts today. God, help us. Help us not to just walk out of here as though nothing has happened today. Do something, Lord. Change us. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be more and more like your dear Son. And help others to see Jesus in us. And help others to come to Jesus as a result of our witnessing to them. And then, Lord, today there are those here perhaps with a broken heart. Those that are going through some great trials and it just seems like that it's more than they can bear. And God, I pray today that they'll find that as a result of your grace that they can bear up under anything. May you be glorified in whatever you do today. In Jesus' name, amen. While we stand and as we 